Welcome to the Gateway Scottsdale audio podcast. Thanks for joining us for this week's message. We pray God speaks to you through this message and through his word today. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.gatewayscottsdale.tv. Now, let's tune in for this week's message. I am excited to be with you this weekend to continue our series that Pastor Preston's been doing the last few weeks called Whole. Um, And if you have your Bible, I want you to take it out and turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6, where we've been camping the last few weeks. But before we get into the message, I want us to just take a moment to look around. And I really feel like, you know, there's a story in the Bible that Jesus tells about the ten, you know, the ten lepers that Jesus heals, and there's only two that stop to really take all in what he did in their lives and thank him and have gratitude. And as I look around, you're in a new seat, you're in a new direction, but really, look what God has done. And I am so grateful. I don't know about you, but just that we are getting to the end of construction. <laughs> I am so grateful for our bathrooms and just looking around. God is on the move, isn't he, in this place? And it is exciting to us. And, and I'm grateful that he speaks no matter what direction you're facing. It might be a little awkward for you this morning. I'm grateful that he shows up in worship every time we gather, every time we mention his name. No matter if the person from 1230 popped into this service and stole your seat, he's here, right? He's here and he's present. And this morning, I believe he wants to speak to us. And I'm really grateful for just your hearts and your participation throughout this entire process. It's been incredible. Um, I'm also grateful that there's this little game that you may not know, but during this entire process, we've been playing this game every week and we call it the weekend shuffle. And so all throughout the week, this is like a war zone. There is like genie lifts everywhere, beeping, pounding, our neighbors hate us, it's awesome. And then comes Thursday and we have to start scrambling to get ready for the weekend. So we play this fun game like this week we're going to remove hundreds of chairs and then on Saturday we're going to reset those chairs up in a different way and then we're going to take out the entire sound system and then next week we're going to put up a different one and the stage is going to move and it's just this fun game that we call the weekend shuffle. And so I'm super grateful that it's almost over but I'm also grateful for the team of pastors. There's not one person on the staff from Pastor Preston all the way down to the rest of us that hasn't jumped in and given their heart and their time and hours and set up chairs and and gone above and beyond. So I'm really grateful that the weekend shuffle is almost over. But this week on Thursday, we got a weekend shuffle call and they said, you know, all the chairs are being delivered. We have 700 chairs that are coming out of the truck and we need more help getting them. So the staff scrambled over and people were unloading chairs and I walked in and I saw all those chairs stacked up in the lobby and for some reason, something just hit me right in that moment. And it overwhelms me, just the sight of all those chairs. And the reason is, is because I knew in my heart, and you know this, that every chair represents a space and a person that someone can come in and hear God's word and hear his message and encounter his presence in this place. And from the very beginning, that's been God's heart, to make space for more people so that your friends and your neighbors and your family members can come and encounter what you do each and every week here. So I'm I'm so grateful, and as I walked in on Thursday, I was almost like emotional, like, what, God, you're, you're doing it, and I felt so clearly up until that moment, I hadn't really known what my title of the message was going to be this weekend, but I knew right in that moment that it was this. The title of the message for this weekend is God's Expansion Plan, and I believe we're living it, we're a part of it right now, not just within the walls of this church, but outside of it, and I'm excited to see what he has to share with us this morning, so will you pray with me, God? Thank you for being here this morning. 
Thank you for stirring our hearts. Thank you for opening our eyes to what you're doing, not only in this church, but in the community that we live in, in the world that we live in. God, you're on the move. And I ask you to speak to our hearts today through your word. Challenge us. Change us. Open our eyes. May we not leave the same. And if you believe that, say amen. Amen. So we have been in this series entitled Whole, and it's found its home in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 6. And last week, Pastor Preston kind of shared the crux of the entire message from the prayer, the Shema prayer that's found in Deuteronomy 6, verse um, 4. And if you'll turn in your Bibles, you can read with me here. Here it is. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And that message was powerful. If you weren't here, I want you to go back and I want you to listen to it. You're going to hear some Greek and Hebrew and all sorts of words that you never knew before. But I believe God is speaking to us through this passage. And if as we read it, if we're not careful, it would be easy for us to think God's just naming off the pieces of us that he wants. Like, I want your soul. I want your mind. I want your strength. And maybe you're sitting back thinking, thank God he didn't save my Facebook account, right? Thank God he didn't mention my bank account. But in reality, what he's saying through this passage is not compartmentalizing the things and the parts of us that he wants. He's saying, I want all of you. I want your whole heart. I want everything you are. All of the the things that Moses was sharing with them leading up to this point about obedience and the law and every part of it was all leading up to this one heartbeat that God wants our whole selves. He wants all of us. He wants every single piece of us. And this was his covenant with them. It was the old covenant that he had established. And how much more for you and I who are in the new covenant? You see, we couldn't fulfill that covenant. We couldn't obey every part of the law, but Jesus could, and he did. And he came to this earth, and he fulfilled every piece of it, perfectly completing and fulfilling the law and establishing as he died and rose again a new covenant. And so now our obedience and our our response to him is because he did it all. And our heart and our whole selves really is the only natural response we can give to a God who gave everything for us. Isn't that true? So I think it's important that we spend a few weeks on this and we really dive in because if I was to ask everyone in this room, what is your favorite passage in the Bible? You probably have one in mind. Maybe some of you like go back to Old Faithful, John 3, 16, right? And maybe some of you are like, no, I'm really in like the First Corinthians 13 love camp, like, Love is patient, love is kind. Or those who are like really into fitness are probably like, you know, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ. It's blasted everywhere. But we all, we probably get hundreds of responses. But if we ask Jesus, Jesus, what's the most important verse in the Bible? You know they did that in Matthew. And he answered in Matthew 22.37, he said this. He referred to this passage in Deuteronomy and said, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is equally important, love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all of the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. So I believe that through this passage, we need to dig in and see, because I believe God's not just speaking to the Israelites of that day, but he's speaking to us. And there's a message in there, and I believe today he wants to show us that contained within these verses is really his heart and his expansion plan for his kingdom. And we know that when Jesus spoke and he said this is the most important passage, it wasn't just on his own accord. He always spoke the heart of the Father. So this really is 
the Father's heart for us to take note and to take time to really dig in. So number one I want to speak today is God's desire. God's desire. God's goal from the very beginning has always been relationship from day one. And Pastor Preston shared this so beautifully last week, but God's desire so greatly was relationship that he created us. God's desire has always been relationship. And when he went into the garden and established relationship with man, and then they sinned and broke relationship, in that moment, God's redemption plan kicked in. Because God's desire has always been wholehearted relationship with man. But even more than that, even more than that in that moment, I think it's not just a wholehearted relationship with Adam and Eve or mankind, but it's with the whole world. Does that make sense? God's desire is not just our whole hearts, but he wants the whole hearts of the whole world. And he's relentless in his pursuit to get it. Jesus told us in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son and whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God didn't send a son in the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. Say the world. Through him. And in Matthew 18, he says this, and we know this story well. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others on the hills and go out to search for the one that is lost? And if he finds it, I tell you the truth, he will rejoice over it more than the other 99 that didn't wander away. In the same way, it is not my heavenly Father's will that even one of these little ones should perish. Why? Because God's heart is the whole hearts of the whole world. That's his desire. And he's all-powerful and all-strength, and, and, and he's, he's omnipotent, but yet he's passionate and almost obsessive about this desire to be in relationship with man. And he's not going to stop until he has the whole hearts of the whole world. And that's why his expansion plan isn't over yet. His promise isn't fulfilled. The whole hearts of the whole world. Point number two is God's promise. We have God's desire, the whole hearts of the whole world, and then we have God's promise. From that moment in the garden, when God's redemption plan kicked in, he had a plan in place. And his plan was to establish a people that would be wholly his, so that through that people, he could bring a redeemer to the earth. And that began in Genesis. In Genesis 17, he speaking to Abram, Abraham, and he says this, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants, descendants after you throughout their generations for an everlasting, solemn pledge to be a God to you and to your posterity after you. And I will give to you and your posterity after you the land in which you are a stranger, going from place to place, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. See, Abraham was an old man. He had zero, zero children in that moment. But God comes to him and he makes a promise. He says, I need a people that are going to be my people. I need to send a redeemer to this earth so I can get the whole hearts of the whole world. But in order to do that, I have to have people to do it through. And so he says, I'm making a promise to you, Abraham, not just to you, but to your posterity. And this word posterity is the word, Hebrew word zara. And it really is this, this picture of, of him multiplying seed. He's multiplying Abraham's seed. And posterity literally means the future generation. So God makes a promise to Abraham in this moment. Abraham, you have zero seed right now, but I'm going to multiply your seed. I'm going to multiply it. I need future generations. My promise is not just to you, but to future generations. And God keeps his promise. He makes a nation out of Abraham's seed. And then, and then that nation 
ends up in captivity in Egypt for 400 years. But God's expansion plan wasn't done yet. He wasn't done in that moment. He was looking out into eternity and saying, I've got, I've got to continue on this redemption plan. So he sends Moses to come to them, to lead them out of captivity and bring them into the land that he promised Abraham. And so he does that, and here they are in Deuteronomy. The very beginning of Deuteronomy, they're about to enter the promised land. And Moses says, I can't go with you, but here, let me just lay this out for you because this is so important. It's not just about this moment. It's not just about stepping into this land. God's promise is to future generations. And so he says, if we're going to make it as a nation, if God's expansion plan is going to continue beyond just you, if we're not going to, if we're going to cut out the cycles of obedience and disobedience and, and falling into slavery and wandering in the desert for 40 years, if we're going to get out of that and make it, and if God's expansion plan is going to continue through us, then we got to be wholehearted in this. we got to give him our whole heart. And so he says, remember, God's promises to future generations. And there was no question of God's character, and there's no question that God's going to keep his promise. Moses reminds them in Deuteronomy 7, verse 9, he says this, understand this, the Lord your God indeed is God. He is the faithful God who keeps his covenant for a thousand generations, a thousand generations, and lavishes his unfailing love on those who love him and obey his commands. Some of you today need to be reminded that God keeps his promises, that he is a faithful God. The word says that he who promised is faithful. And I believe that some of you today are sitting here waiting for that promise to be fulfilled. And you just need a reminder that God keeps his promises. He who began a good work, he is faithful to complete that work in your children's lives. Maybe you're standing for a child or a grandchild to come back to know him. Maybe you're waiting on God to show you what your next step is. I'm telling you that the one who promised is faithful. And he keeps his promises. And you need to be reminded that you are children of the promise. It wasn't just to the Israelites. In fact, in Galatians 4.28, it says this, And you, dear brothers and sisters, those who believe in Jesus, are children of the promise, just like Isaac. We get in on his promise to future generations because God's a good God. And his expansion plan is not done yet. He's a God who keeps his promise. God is so futuristic because here are the Israelites, and they're probably thinking, we are at the pinnacle, like we're, we're living in the promise, like it's, it's done, God's done everything, we're about to enter into the promised land, it's so close we can taste it, and yet God is still looking out into eternity. His promise isn't completed in that moment, in fact, it's, it's happening, it's moving forward, but his expansion plan will not stop until he has the whole hearts of the whole world. God keeps his promises, and the third point is God's plan. So what is his expansion plan? And as we continue reading in Deuteronomy, I, I believe Moses shows us really what God's expansion plan looks like. So let's pick back up in Deuteronomy. If you have your Bibles, look in verse 6 of chapter 6, and it says this. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses on, on your and on your gates. And then Moses goes on to kind of give them a heads up of what life in the promised land is going to look like. He lets them know, hey, it's going to be amazing. You're going to be living in houses you didn't build. You're going to be living off the promise of God's riches, and it's going to be awesome. But here's the risk. It's really easy to get comfortable. 
and forget the blessor when we're focused on the blessing, right? So they were about to walk in and see the richness of the blessings. They've been wandering and camping out for 40 years. And, God said, and Moses says, as we get in there, you can't forget where this all comes from. And there's, there's, this is how you have to do it. This is how this is going to keep going and keep moving is you've got to write it on your heart. You've got to talk about it when you're sitting. You've got to talk about it when you're walking. You've got to talk about it when you're lying down. This has to be alive and living and breathing through you or else it's going to be real easy for you to focus in on the blessings and get comfortable. So he, he really begins to, to break down how it should be done. And, and here's the thing. I have an example. We're going to go back into the scripture in just a moment, but I want to just like give you a piece in, of like what's been going on in my life for the last few months. But at the beginning of the summer, you may have heard of Pastor Preston sharing just a little bit about his like recent love for gardening. I don't know if he's shared it through the messages. And and he, as we all know, is like, when you're in, you're like all in, like 150%. And if you are around him, you're also going to be in. So he came to the staff a couple months ago, and he's, and mind you, this is at June like 25th or something. So it was a million degrees outside. And he said in a staff meeting, listen, the Lord's just been really teaching me through this gardening study I'm doing. I'm getting, you know, preparing the land at my home, and I'm really just digging into this. And I really believe that there's something that we're all supposed to learn through this process. So he hands out seed packets to all of us. And he says, I realize like it's the middle of summer. This shouldn't happen. This shouldn't work. That just means you have to study more. And we're like, okay. But our staff tends to be competitive slightly. So suddenly it wasn't just this, it, this challenge to learn. It was like a challenge to win. And I might be married to the most um, competitive on the team, Pastor Brad. And we were at the um, nursery like the next day. Uh, we're the first ones out of the gate. We are going to win this. We are going to crush this gardening thing. We've never grown anything in our lives besides children. But it's fine. We're going to win. Okay? And he, so we go to the garden. We're telling everybody. We are, like, on this snapping pictures in the group chat telling them we're about to win. And I, it was, it you know, it was pretty good. Like we nurtured these seeds in our home under the lights and we had like molasses and all these weird organic things because we couldn't use miracle Grow. That was like one caveat. And so we're just like crushing it. And so we're sending pictures. And I remember like there was a time when Pastor Preston's plants weren't quite as thriving as ours. And so it was really great to like send these photos. And so uh, I, I'll show you. We planted them probably in the ground mid-July, and we had squash, and we had um, zucchini, and I had uh, some cucumbers, and this was just like, they were thriving. The monsoons would come, and they would, it was just beautiful. It was great, and I could just, it's feeling really good. And then August happened, and I'm not sure if you've noticed, but a lot has happened around here, and so that required a little bit extra of our time, and the kids' ministry, which I'm heavily involved in, there was lots of late nights here, and life just got louder than my garden, to be honest. And so I'd like to show you a picture of my garden right now. It's right there, okay? It's not doing well, guys. It's really not. Um, I don't think we're going to be getting any zucchini uh, or squash. In fact, I probably just need to give up. But here's the thing that I learned. See, I can't make anything grow. I, I don't have that power to make it grow. Only God can make it grow, right? He can multiply the seed. But it would be really easy for me to walk by that garden and say, God, why didn't you grow my plants? Like, what's, what's wrong with you, God? You're the one that multiplies seed. That's your promise. Why aren't my plants thriving? I can't make a plant grow. And it would be really easy for me to distance myself 
from the state of my plants, right? And in the same way, as we look out in the state of our current culture, the generations around us, the things that are happening, it would be really easy for us to be like, God, what's your problem? Why does it seem like evil is winning? Why does it seem like things are divided? Why does it seem like your promise isn't being fulfilled? No one's worshiping you. No one's serving you. Everyone's arguing about this or that. And we could look around and begin to distance ourselves and say, God, why why aren't you multiplying the seed? Why aren't you doing what you promised, God? But the problem is we cannot remove ourselves from the equation. Because you and I are part of God's expansion plan. We're part of it. We're a crucial part of it. Just as my watering would be a crucial part (laughs) of the thriving of my plants. I can't take myself away from that. And then we have Pastor Preston and Pastor Matt who partnered together. and, And they decided, and he was, Pastor Matt grew up on a farm, which I feel like is a disadvantage. And... And these guys, they had a little bit of a different heart. It wasn't so much that they were trying to win. In fact, it was kind of weird. It was like their hearts were wholly gardening and dirt and worms. And, and, and when they woke up, they talked about gardening to us. And when they walked into the office, they were like, hey, can, you want to talk about some more mealworms? I'm like, no, I don't. I don't want to talk about mealworms. And, and at lunch, if the staff was together for lunch, they're telling us about their shipment of dirt that was like a million dollars a yard. And I'm like, what is wrong with you people? You are just crazy about these gardens. It's crazy. And then I, I want to show you what their garden looks like. It's a little bit better than mine, right? Because they realized if this garden was going to succeed... And the things in life might, I mean, we're all on the same team. August got really loud for them too. But guess what? When they woke up, they're thinking about their garden. When they sat, they're thinking about their garden. Their kids are thinking about their garden. Their garden is they're wholeheartedly gardeners, aside from wholeheartedly doing what God's called them to do. But you get the point. It was alive in them. And if the things in our lives, if we're going to partner with God for his expansion, it has to be wholehearted in us. And so Moses is saying, You can't take yourself out of the equation. You can't look around and just hope that this is all going to keep going. You are part of God's expansion plan. And you might be saying, isn't that the church's job? I mean, isn't the church supposed to, you know, expand God's kingdom? Yes, we are. We're part of it. But the church is one part. The church is called to illuminate. Revelations 1.20 says this, The meaning of the mystery of the seven stars, and this is John talking in Revelations about the vision he saw, The meaning of the mystery of the seven stars you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Now, anyone that knew anything about the tabernacle or the temple knew this, that the lampstand in the temple had only one job. Had one job, and it was to shine the light, and not in a broad way, but almost like a spotlight on the table of the showbread in the temple. And the table of the showbread represented God's presence. And so the church, our number one singular focus has to be focusing in on God's presence, on who he is. Our job is to create a place, not just here at Gateway Church, but across the capital C church, is to be so known for the fact that God is here. He is present. You can bring your friends. You can bring your neighbors. And no matter what they're going through, they may not understand everything that happens here, but they're going to sense that God is here. And that has to be our heart. That has to be our focus to illuminate him. It's not a soapbox. The church isn't built on a soapbox. It's built on Jesus. 
the person of Jesus. And if our light ever shines on whatever you think the most important thing our light should be shining on, we're missing because it's only meant to illuminate him and his presence. That's the church's job in all of this. And so if the church, if you look out and you see even what we're doing within our kids' ministry right now, you're going to begin to see some things take shape. And yes, we're trying to win the hearts of even the coolest sixth grade boy, and that is a tough challenge, I'm telling you. But our desire is to create a place where God is illuminated, where his presence is real. And we're not just giving them a little piece of God, but we're showing them you can hear from God. You'll, hear, you'll see this word, our, our, our kids' ministry area is now called Heroes Gateway, and we are building heroes. And what is a hero? It's a child who can hear God's voice, explore their identity in him, respond to his call, and overcome any obstacle. And how do we do that? We're going to do that by introducing them to the one who can do that in their lives. We can't transform them, but we can create a place and illuminate that. And, and we do that when, within our classrooms. We spend time. I, a few months ago, I was sitting in the classroom, and I said, you know, you guys, God speaks. He speaks to us. He speaks to us in our heart. Sometimes we don't hear it through an audible voice. Sometimes it's just an impression, but he always is going to speak to us. And he's going to tell us things that encourage our hearts, that strengthen us, that, that, that cause us to know that we're loved and that he has a promise and a plan for our lives. So right now, why don't we just listen? Why don't you just close your eyes and ask God, God, do you have anything to say to me right now? And they opened their eyes a few moments later and I said, did anyone say anything? All these hands popped up. Well, I heard that he loves to watch me like this. Well, I heard that he thinks I'm very brave. Well, I just, I didn't hear anything or sense anything, but I just saw this picture of me playing baseball and I was so confident. You see, God speaks. And as a church, our focus is to illuminate who he is and introduce the children to the purpose and the heart and the person of Jesus. We're called to illuminate as a church and as the people we're called to demonstrate. We're called to demonstrate. Moses outlined it here. He said, impress it on your children. Talk about it when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down. He's not just talking to parents and children in this situation. Do you notice that he didn't say, hear, O parents? He said, hear, O Israel. That every single one of us has a part to play in this expansion plan that we are called to demonstrate. Jesus thought it was so important that he said, listen, love the Lord your God with your whole heart and then love people. Then demonstrate that love to the people around you because that is my expansion plan, is loving people. And so maybe you don't have children of your own at this time. Maybe they're grown. Maybe you've wanted children. Maybe you need to step in and partner with us. In one of our students' ministry or kids' ministries, maybe you need to stop saying, God, what's wrong with this world today? What's wrong with this generation? What's wrong with those millennials? What's wrong? And maybe you're supposed to say, God, what's my part in all of this? Maybe we're not supposed to pray, God, send revival. Send, send, a, send your promise. No, maybe we're supposed to pray, God, send me. Where are you calling me? Am I called to partner with you in this? And the answer is yes. The answer is yes, because we are called to demonstrate him to the world that we live in. We're called to demonstrate. And how do we do that? How do we demonstrate his love? We do it through three ways. Number one, the first way we demonstrate it is through our intimacy. We cannot introduce people to someone we don't know. 
The number one way we can be a part of his expansion plan is having that alive and vibrant, living relationship with him. We can't compartmentalize God into a box that we take out on Sundays or when people come over for dinner and expect the world to see him. He has to be a living, breathing part of our lives. And I'm 100% convinced that his presence makes the difference every single time. I'm convinced. I've seen it. I've seen it in my children's lives. And as I've wrestled through things and talked to them about what I've sensed God leading and the times I've missed it and the times I've got it right, they're hearing and they're learning. My 15-year-old daughter invited a friend to students group, and, and that's where their Pastor Isaac's teaching them and leading them and showing them they can hear from God. God cares about where they are right now. And so they broke up in groups to pray, and this friend that she brought from school who was very new to the youth group and really quiet and hadn't really had a deep relationship with Angelina up until this point, but as they, they started talking, she just said, I really feel like I'm supposed to tell you something. And she unloaded. She unloaded all the stuff that she was walking through that no one at school knew. And she'd been carrying for almost two years on her own. No kid should have had to walk through these things that she walked through. And yet she turned to Angeline and they prayed and they cried and God spoke in that moment and she said, I just knew, I just knew in my heart I was supposed to tell you. And Angelina said, that was God talking to you. And she looked back to her and she said, I know, I know. God's presence in our lives is the difference maker. It makes all the difference. And as we step into an intimate relationship with him, we can introduce people to the God that's alive in our hearts. So our intimacy is the number one way we can demonstrate him to the world. And the second way is our intention. Our intention. Moses must have had a glimpse into what life in 2017 would look like because he broke it down very simply. You can live intentionally just like this. There's four ways that you can do this. You can talk about him when you wake up. Well, everyone wakes up, don't we? Right? We can talk to our children about him when we wake up. We can set an intention for the day and say, don't forget who you are. Don't forget who God says you are. Every family can do that because every family wakes up at some point. And then he said, talk about them when you're on the road. Well, if your family's like mine, you're probably in the car at some point or too many points of the day. And you can carry on that conversation and, and say, what's going on in your heart? What's going on? What happened at school today? You, as a person, even if you're driving at home, in your car alone, rather than listening to the most encouraging talk radio that's out there, not much, why not have a conversation? God, I'm driving. I'm, I'm remem remembering who you are today. I'm looking around and thinking about what you're doing in my life today. I'm not just going to plug in in the morning and get that word for the day. I'm going to plug in throughout the day. I'm going to stay connected to you when I'm driving. Because every one of us are on the road constantly. And the third, the third way he said, when you sit down. At some point we all sit down, we eat. Maybe we eat alone, maybe we eat together. But how about being intentional with that time and saying, here's a teaching moment. I have my children with me. I have a moment to reflect on what God's speaking to my heart right now. Make it alive in that part of our lives. And the fourth way is when we lie down, when we go to bed. Let's not let the sun go down without thanking God for what he's done in the day and addressing anything that needs to be addressed in our kids' lives. Maybe you screwed up big time. That happens from time to time in my life. And you can say, listen, I was, I was really harsh today. Or I forgot, you know, I got so busy and carried away. I didn't, I didn't tell you what I think about you. Do you know that I really believe God has a plan for your life? These are the gifts that I see in you. 
And we can begin to talk about these things with our children and in our mind be intentional as we focus in on them. And in that way, we can partner with God in his expansion plan. And the third way that we can demonstrate his love is through understanding our influence. You know, Moses spent most of the first half of his life alone. He spent 40 years in the desert hiding out, and, and, and then God called him out to lead this nation of Israel. And I can imagine that there was a moment when he's, maybe when he's like at the Red Sea and things are really getting crazy, that he looked back and saw all those people following him and was like, oh no. <laughs> like, what I'm doing right now actually matters. And not too long ago, I heard the, the voice of God speak to my heart and say, look behind you. Look around you. Where has God placed you? What influence has he put, put in your hands? Who has he placed around you? Who are you called to influence? Maybe it's your children. Maybe it's your neighbors. Maybe it's the community or the place that you work. But I guarantee you that you are called to be an influencer. You are part of his expansion plan. And the way that Moses lived in the desert by himself was probably a lot different than the way he had to live when he was living in front of a million plus people leading them through the wilderness. We have to understand our influence, and we have to know our story in that. Moses said this as he read on in Deuteronomy 6, verse 20. It says this, in the future, your children will ask you, what's the meaning of these laws and these decrees, and why do we have to do all this crazy stuff? Why has God, why do we do all this? And he said, then you must tell them, well, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with his strong hand. The Lord did miraculous signs and wonders before our eyes, dealing terrifying blows against Egypt and Pharaoh and all his people. He brought us out of Egypt so he get, could give us this land and had sworn to give our ancestors. What's your story? Where has God brought you from? What victories have you seen? Because that's what you need to pass on. We have to live in a way and influence in a way that people ask us, well, why do we do this? Why, why, how come you're so happy? I mean, your life just seems really hard. I mean, every day you tell us these things have gone on, but you still seem joyful. You don't get irritated with our boss. And well, let me tell you, I wasn't always this way. There was a time that I was depressed. There was a time that I was alone. There was a time I was going through a divorce. There was a time that I was sick, but God in his strong hand and his mighty strength led me out of that place of slavery. And as we own the stories that God has done in our lives, as we begin to capture them and reiterate them and talk about them when we sit and talk about them when we eat and talk about them when people don't ask, because you can't, you can argue theology all day, but you cannot argue what God has done in your life. You can't. And if we're going to partner with God in his expansion plan, we have to know what he has done. And we have to live in such a way that people ask us why. They ask Jesus all the time, why do you eat with those people? They're sinners, they're scum. And he said, do the healed need a doctor? No, the sick people do. I came for these people. Well, why do you heal people on the Sabbath? I'm, I'm doing what God asked me to do. He, they asked him questions, and he had a response every single time. And it often involved a story. So what is your story? Because your story is your influence. You know, the Bible says that this gospel, the good news of Jesus, will be preached to the ends of the earth, and then the end will come. And it also says that how can they hear without a preacher? How can someone preach unless they're sent? There is a partnership that you and I have to step into in God's expansion plan. It doesn't stop with making room in this building. It doesn't stop with us, um, you know, making space, sharing our seat, inviting our neighbors. There is an involvement 
We can't distance ourselves from God's expansion plan because you and I are a part of the equation. 2 Peter 3.9 says this, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And I get this picture that God's waiting for you and I to join in on his expansion plan. He's being patient because he wants to fulfill that promise to a thousand generations, but he needs partners. He needs us to partner with him because his desire is the whole hearts of the whole world. The whole world. And as I was praying about how to close this message, I felt like God just kind of really spoke to my heart and gave me this picture. And and you and I have heard this throughout Scripture and heard different passages, and even, in fact, Pastor Isaac shared it today. It's this passage, this phrase, until the whole earth is filled with his glory. You've heard that phrase before? And probably just growing up in church as a kid, I just always had this picture of, like, a globe of the earth, and just there was, like, this, like, fog machine covering the whole earth, and, like, the whole earth like filled with the glory of God, and that's what it would look like. And as I kind of was just processing through this idea of us partnering with God, I was reminded of this. Um, I felt like God said, when Moses asked in it to see my glory when they were in the wilderness, what did I say? And I said, well, the scripture says that you said, I'll show you my goodness. And so God interchanges goodness for his glory. And then and then in um, Romans chapter 2, it says that his goodness is what leads men to repentance. And it's the same word that's translated from Hebrew and Greek, but this God's goodness and his kindness. And so this is maybe a little stretch, but just imagine this for a minute. If God's goodness is what leads men to repentance, to come into relationship with him, if his goodness is what draws people in, And his his goodness is also interchangeable with his glory. This picture that kind of came into my heart was this entire globe. And instead of like a fog machine coming in, it was all these people standing across the globe and all these hearts that were wholly his, connected to him. And in that picture I saw, this is what it looks like for the whole earth to be filled with my glory. When every heart is wholly mine, that's, That's my glory. That's when I'm going to get the most glory. The whole earth. The whole hearts of the whole world. Thanks for listening to this week's message. If you'd like to know more about Gateway Church, please visit our website at www.gatewayscottsdale.tv.